Good morning. Go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to be looking at Christmas today. Uh, A couple of things before we start. As always, if you've arrived here today without a Bible, we'd like for you to follow along, and there should be one in front of you underneath the seat. But if there isn't, if you need a Bible, raise your hands and the ushers will bring one to you. Does anybody need a Bible? Is everybody good? Good. Um... As you're turning there, first of all, yesterday we had a Christmas vacation Bible school, and it was just really a blessing. I came to do some some work on a, some on Christmas morning study, and just to see everybody here and everybody serving, I want to thank the servants who served, and it just it just was a blessing. Uh, one other thing, Sean messed up the bulletin. No, this this was not Sean's fault. Uh, the blankets have already been brought to Mercy House. We're no longer doing the blankets. Uh, they had a Christmas party, and they were just so excited to see the blankets and the sleeping bags and all of those things. They gave them out last Thursday at a Christmas party that they had for the homeless in the area, and it was just a huge blessing. Now, the thing that Sean didn't notice, and again, it's not Sean's fault, but uh, we have an opportunity this time of the year, especially when it gets cold, for those who are in need of housing, they, they, they pass out housing vouchers and food vouchers and whatnot. And so in the bulletin, we have a little blurb about that, if that's something that you want to give towards, either through a voucher or just put uh, some money in an envelope and put it in the Gopi box, whatever. But they prioritize those who are um, veterans, those who are single moms, and uh, there was another category, I don't remember. They don't just pass them out haphazardly, but they have a focal point on who they give these things to. So if you want to um, give towards that, you're more than welcome to do so. Well, you've heard it before. I'm sure you've sang it many times. What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with Atham's sweet while shepherds watch are keeping? This is Christ the King, whose shepherds guard and angels sing, Haste, haste, to bring him laud, the babe, the son of Mary. It's kind of a different song when you just say it rather than sing it, but you don't want me to sing it, so I decided to say it. But what child is this? Well, in Jesus' case, like so many others, it's a case of like father, like son kind of an occupation and a destination, just like his, his adopted father, I guess, well, stepdad, just like Joseph, he became a carpenter, and the Lord worked side by side with Joseph. But according to his father in heaven, he was always destined to be the savior, the savior of mankind. So I decided to do this study to put together as kind of a conglomeration of some other studies and some other things that I believe the Lord has given me, just to kind of set the tone for the next couple of days. Because once again, we'll be going into homes filled with family and friends. My wife and I, were going to be going to my mom's house tonight. We'll be going to my daughter's house on, um, what is today? Today's Sunday, that's why we're here, okay, on Tuesday. And, uh, and it's just, just a busy time of the year. I mentioned it last week. We went to Disneyland on Friday. It's the first time I've been in Disneyland since probably 25, 30 years, whatever it's been. And just to see all those people as mass of humanity. It's hard to look at a mass of humanity, football game, baseball game, Disneyland, whatever. wonder how many of these people know who the Lord Jesus Christ is. How many of these people have submitted their souls to the Lord Jesus Christ? 
and just wondering, you know, proportions, I don't know, but if the Lord was to come today, how many of them would be raptured, or would Disneyland still be full on that evening? And so we see that our work is cut out for us because of the work that the Lord Jesus Christ did. And so, like father, like son, just like Joseph, who became a carpenter, just like our father in heaven, well, he was destined to be a savior. It's just as the angel told Jesus' stepfather in Matthew 21, I'm sorry, Matthew 1, verses 21 through 23, this angel speaking to Joseph, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, so he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. We'll be looking a little bit more on that on Tuesday morning. But with every birth, with every birth of every baby, there is that dream. There's that dream that they will grow up to be big and strong and independent. But also, what are they going to do? Who will they become? There's those questions and, again, dreams and desires of every parent. And I can look at it from the perspective of grandparent now as well. So today, this morning, we're going to look at the Christmas story. But as we'll see, the Christmas story is inseparable from the Calvary story. Christmas and Easter are joined together for all of the ages, for all of mankind. There came that moment in time, according to God's will, that history would be fulfilled. He made it easy for us to recognize and to refer to throughout the ages, even our day, as we make the determination on what year it is. It's either B.C. or A.D. It's either before Christ or Anno Domini, or which means year of the Lord. That's what A.D. means. It's Latin. It's all about recognizing, though, history. Not history as we think history, but his story. His story. The story of of God and how it's resonated throughout the ages and continues to do so. That we would understand that we are all working in part of God's plan. We we all have a will, and, and God allows us to follow through in that in so many different ways. But God has a will for us, and it's an obedient, born-again believer that follows through in God's will. But either way, we see his story. We see how his story uh, unfolded so long ago, but continues to f- unfold. If you read through the one-year Bible, it's what I do every year, we're in the book of Revelation, and we see how things are going to unfold in the future. But the future and the past, it's all about the present today. It's about our relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's about others' relationships with the Lord Jesus Christ. So his story, it's all told in the correlation between his birth and his death. The preacher in Ecclesiastes addressed this concept in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 1 through 4. He says, a good name is better than precious ointment. Precious ointment back in that day was pretty expensive. We looked at that on Thursday night. But a good name, a good name is beyond value. Well, we see here the name that is beyond all names, at least in Matthew. It says, in the day of death, then the day of one's birth. As intimate and as revealing as the day of the Lord's birth was, how much more so holy was the day of the Lord's death. How much more so important was the death of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because it's the day of his death. Now, the day of his birth ushered all this in. It's of utmost importance, without a doubt. But we can see that everything 
pales in comparison to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it's at the cross of Christ that my sins were dealt with. It's at the cross of Christ that I became a new creation and I was adopted. We all were adopted into the family of God. It's at the cross of Christ that the history of mankind was altered in a way that is undeniable. And it's at the cross of Christ that we all have a future and a hope that is sealed in the hands of our God. And it was an amazing time and it's that which we can never discount. A good name is better than earthly riches or precious ointment. And the day of death than the day of one's birth. Better to go to the house of mourning than go to the house of, of feasting. For that is the end of all men, and the living will take it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by a sad countenance the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, and the heart of fools is in the house of mirth or celebrating. And the idea is, it's at the end of a person's life that you see the story, that you see the truth of that life. In all of our lives, there's going to be victories and failures. They'll be celebrating, but there's going to be times of mourning and so on and so forth. But the memory that I leave here on earth, would it be to God that it would be of an imperfect person who had given his life to Christ in this work that Christ is able to do in and through that life? It's the legacy that I pray that I leave to my children and I leave to my grandchildren and even generations from there on. Oh, that Lord would bless me to be able to have my great-grandchildren bouncing up and down on my knees or getting in my face and eating my breakfast as one of them did this morning. Not greats, but grands. And so the day of the Lord's birth is such a blessing as that was, and it definitely was. It led to the day of its death that changed and altered the course of all of humanity. So what I want to look at is the Christmas story and how it relates to the Calvary story, two events that definitely parallel one another. And so really, I want to start off with, there was a tale of two cities. At Christmas, it was Bethlehem. Bethlehem, Mary and Joseph were there because of taxation. Caesar wanted a little bit more, wanted to know how many people that he would be able to squeeze, and so he did that census, and since Joseph was from that area, it was required of him to take his wife, his betrothed at that time, and go and, and register there. The inhabitants, the inhabitants, though, had no room for him at his birth. But then there was Calvary, there was, well, at Calvary there was Jerusalem, Crowded, not because of taxation, but because of celebration. It was the time of the Passover. The inhabitants had no room for him at his death either. And so there was a rejection at the Lord of the Lord at the beginning, and there was a rejection of the Lord in the end. And again, we see that rejection continues to even ring forth in our day. But we see another parallel. At birth, it was a borrowed room. At death, it was a borrowed tomb. And again, Jesus, definitely not of this world. My wife and I, I don't remember why we were talking about such a thing, but where we will be buried, I guess it's something you have to discuss. And she was just pretty much of the mindset. She said something along the lines of, I don't care what you do with my body. I, I really don't care because whatever you do with it, however you decide to dispose of it, God's going to pull it all back together anyway. And she said, and it's so true, I'm not going to be there because I'm going to be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was because of that borrowed room where that baby was, what was born and that borrowed tomb that speaks of his death. And it's because of that 
that even though the, the tomb cannot hold the Lord, the tomb will not be able to hold us as well. Secondly, there's a tell of the three. See, first, well, not three, tree. The tail of the tree. First tree was fashioned into a feeding trough. Polite people call it a manger. There's debate when we were in Israel if it was even really fashioned out of wood. It very well could have been fashioned out of stone, but stone doesn't work in my illustration here, so we'll just look at it as made out of wood. What is it that a feeding trough possessed? Well, on that day in Bethlehem, in that borrowed room, it it possessed the house of bread. Well, the bread of life is what I should say. The bread of life in the house of bread, Bethlehem. The second tree was fashioned into a cross. There's no polite term for the cross because it was a place of death, of brutal death and torture. He who is the bread of life is now to be seen as the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God sacrificed at the foundation of peace or Jerusalem, but for the purpose of removing the sins of the world for all who would call upon his name. A tell of the three? Well, there were the labor pains, there was the blood, and there was the water. That which were in the stable, they resulted in birth. That which occurred upon the cross resulted in rebirth. For the pain, the blood, and the water at birth, well, if you've ever been there, you would understand. I was present at my children's birth. I was present at, I think, just one of my grandchildren's birth. I've retired from being present at people's births because there's a lot of those three. There was the yelling and screaming from the pain, and there was a lot of blood and water. Just everybody understands that. Everybody knows that. But as far as the cross, it was there as well. Not birth pangs. I guess you could relate it to birth pangs because it was at the advent of the birth of all of mankind. But there was definitely the pain upon the cross. There was the blood and there was the water of the cross. And again, I just want to focus this time on just one particular place, although there was the thorns and there were the nails and all of that. But the spear in the side. And what the spear in the side signifies, again, the pain we know, and then there was the blood, and there was the water that, that had come out. But also there was so much more that came out of that piercing. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 21 through 22, we have a bit of a picture of that. It says, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, And he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into woman, and he brought her to man. This new life. But what God do? God brought his bride to this man. And it was through the side and the piercing of the side of the Lord Jesus Christ, through that pain, through that piercing that in which blood and water flowed, that there sprang forth the church of the Lord. And because the church of the Lord sprang forth, we now can truly be called the bride of Christ. A tale of contrast, fourthly, Jesus was born in the dark, he died in the dark. He was born naked, he died naked. He was born surrounded by animals, he died surrounded by people described as animals. When he was born, Joseph wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and when he died, a Joseph wrapped him in grave cloths. At his birth, in Luke chapter 2, verses 9 through 10, it says, And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. 
Angels were called once more to deliver a message about 33 years after that time. It was at the Lord's death, or after the Lord's death, in Matthew 28, verses 5 through 7. But the angel answered and said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And so angels speaking to those women, previously speaking to shepherds, basically the same message, go, go and tell. But it was after that time, not that angels hadn't appeared to people after that time, they have, but for the most part they could retire because the job's been turned over to us. No longer do angels go and tell. It's up to us to go and tell. Jesus said, if these should be quiet, even the rocks would cry out. So the message is going to go out. But as far as the faithful within the body of Christ, we've been commanded, we've been told to be discipled, to sit in church, to be taught and to be trained up in these things, but to take the message out of church and to go and to tell the world of these great things which have happened. Because again, God no longer uses angels, not that he doesn't use them at all, not that he can't, but he has chosen to use us. Why? Because it's us who have experienced that gift of salvation. It's us who should be able to even be, speak more passionately than an angel can about the salvation that God has rendered to mankind. God has given us the responsibility, but this responsibility is a joy because we're truly doing, wherever it is that God has called us to go, wherever it is that God has called us to be, we are to be there for that definite purpose of making disciples. And so we pray, we have noon prayer every week. And number one on the list is what we call it AFTW, Avenues for the Word. Avenues for the Word as it's going out to you right now. Avenues for the Word as you take it out of here. Avenues for the Word as we're on Facebook, as we'll be on YouTube. Avenues for the Word, however it goes out of the body of Christ, that God would bless that and it would resonate out from this place, going out from here concentrically even to the ends of the world. We have people that like our Facebook page, and we have people in other countries that like our Facebook page. We have people from other countries that watch services from our just little old us. But it's not about little old us. It's, it's all about the Word of God as it goes out, and God blesses that, and God anoints it. Why does he do that? Well, obviously for the salvation of souls, but also God honors what man does when man is obedient. Just as you encourage your children or grandchildren when they're obedient so they will continue to go in that right path, God does the same thing for us. And don't make the mistake and think it's about me. It's not about me. It's about us. Because if you don't participate in this church, then I'm insignificant. If you don't give it this church, then the message doesn't go out. But as we get together and we do what God has called us to do, as we partner together, then the word goes out, and the word goes out in a mighty way. Last Thursday night, I don't remember how many people that we had here, but, you know, just typical Thursday night, but we had 180 people watch it online. And and, and so what you need to see is, even though you're sitting here, it's multiplied greatly. And and whoever here takes this message out and speaks it to, to somebody else, it's just multiplied again. And so, as they say, I don't remember who used to say it, uh, anyway, the possibilities are endless. And, and, and they really are. 
And, and we need to recognize that. And we do recognize that, and we stop at noon, and that's one of the things that we pray for every single day. So this time of the year, it's all about a Christmas story, a Calvary story, which is all about his story, his story so that we would take note. And so just a couple of things, again, that I put together from the past. First of all, as far as his story, so that we would understand what's going on, God gave a birth announcement. A birth announcement? How did he give a birth announcement? Well, that which was given by an excited father concerning the birth of a son, he announced it. He hung a star in the sky so mankind would know. Uh, it was in one of our past studies. might have been Thursday night. I don't recall. But it, the things that God does, God does outwardly. He doesn't hide things and do them secretly. He does so that all would know and how much more so about that star that was hung in the sky. Matthew 2, 2. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. If that wasn't enough as far as the birth announcement, God, God called an angelic PR firm to make the original announcement as they appeared, as we just saw, to the shepherds, but really in actuality to all of humanity. We are to be those messengers today. They made it verbal to all who would have an ear to hear. Thirdly, as far as this birth announcement, he used word of mouth of those who would personally experience that birth. Hey, did you hear? Mary had a baby. Oh, yeah. Again, I'm not going to sing it, but Mary did have her baby. And that baby is the one who has changed the course of all of humanity and continues to do so even today. Acts chapter 4, verse 20. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. These things are just beyond us. These mar marvelous things that God has done. And I can imagine back in Israel of that day, and there's angels that are appearing and, and, and speaking to mankind. It, it says that they, as they were speaking, there was the glory of God and the idea. It's not the glory of God. I guess it could have been the glory of God reflected off the angels, but the idea is, is that the presence of God was in that place. I often wonder, if an angel appeared today, would there be that big of an excitement? Would we really notice? I mean, think of life back then. You get up, work was hard, and you'd work all day, and you'd be tired at the end of the day. There was no lights for the most part, an oil lamp or whatever, but I would imagine they went to bed pretty early, and they just didn't have the things we had today. I don't think there were cell phones back then. I don't think they even had the phone when you hang on the wall and you got the little thing that went, and you had to make sure that it was clear because of the party line. They had nothing. They had no TV. They had nothing to entertain. They had no, none of this wow and pop that we have today. And so when an angel appeared, this was just completely off the charts. But I wonder, I was thinking about it when we were at Disneyland. And I'm not putting Disneyland. I was impressed by their organization and all. It was just kind of everything was just done so excellent. I relate those things to the church. We should be doing things like they do things there. And what are they? They're doing it for money. We're doing it for the salvation of humanity. But I was looking at the fireworks show, and they have the, the castle thing that's been there forever, and they got it all done up. They got lights, and so they do the fireworks, and they're shooting lasers and these fireworks, and it's just so impressive. And I was thinking, if there was an angel standing next to me, I'd never even notice it. You know, or, you know, somebody sitting there, you know, because you, you're, you're looking around. Even during the fireworks, people got their phones, and they're like, and, you know, there could be an angel right there, great tidings, of good, and you're sitting there, checking on your phone. Will, will we ever notice these things today? 
And so we have to see that just as they were excited back then, part of our witness is the excitement that we have for God. It's the excitement of what God has done. And we can never, never, never cease to remember that. But there is that problem. That problem did exist then and it exists now today. People can be like Rome was in Jesus' day, worldly astute, but not very interested. Rome could care less what was going on in this Jewish culture. All they desired was the taxes. And if they can get more taxes, so much the better. But other than that, wasn't much interest. People can be like Herod. Herod, he was pretty proud. He heard of this new king. This was even a prophesied king. If he thought about it for a while, if he set his pride aside, this, he would realize this was a king that God was sending. But him and his pride thought he could thwart what God wanted to do, and that's why he had those children killed. Herod, he was pretty proud. The innkeeper, he was really busy, and he was completely full. It's a busy time of the year. There's a lot going on. I just don't have time right now. Or just like Jerusalem, this holy city, they were really religious, but there was absolutely no desire for that relationship, especially relationship built upon the Word of God. They, their hearts were closed to what was going on. And again, it's exactly what we see here going on in the world today. Worldly astute, not interested, pretty proud, very busy, completely full, really religious. And that's the same thing that we battle against today within our own hearts to make sure that we haven't fallen into these traps, but also the people that we minister to. But the good thing about God, God brings hardship. He brings hardship into lives for definite purpose. It's really what we're studying on Sunday mornings in First Peter that we would understand our need for him. It's been going on for a few days, just this little vibration that's been going on in my mouth and one of my teeth. Last night, about midnight, it blew up. Have you ever had a toothache? I mean, just an abscess kind of a thing, and it just really, really hurts. And just thinking, God waking me up, God getting my attention. My wife put it on the prayer chain, and right now, it feels pretty good. And it just reminds us of the power of prayer. It reminds us of the existence of God, and, and, and God does these things in order to grasp our attention because it's so easily to fall into routine in the things that we do. God wants us not only proactive, but God wants us passionate about the things that he has called us to do. So God, God wanting to get our attention, he, he sent the, the birth announcement. But after the birth, in order to keep our attention, there's the biblical birth certificate. Examining the document, we see the time and the date of the birth. We're not going to turn there, but in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5, it was the fullness of time. The idea is this is according to God's calendar. There's Rome, well, Greek, Greece had come and conquered the whole area, and they instilled the common language. And so throughout all of the known world, at least in that portion of Europe along the Mediterranean, they all spoke the same language for the most part. I mean, just think if we decided we're going to go down to Mexico and evangelize. Well, if you don't have anybody that speaks Spanish, you're going to have a hard time doing that. Well, here during this time, because of what God had allowed to happen, and we see it 
happened after God said it was going to happen, if you read the book of Daniel, there's this common language. Well, Greece fell, Rome came upon the scene. And really what Rome did is they knocked down borders between the countries. So now there's free travel. That was the expression, all roads lead to Rome. Well, back then they pretty much literally did. So you could go, just as we see the Apostle Paul, you could go from nation to nation to nation, and it just simply wouldn't be a problem. It would be like traveling in the United States. And so you've got this time, this time that is the perfect time. It's the time of God. It's the fullness of time. And it's the fullness of time as well, because that's the time that God said, if you do the math, looking back in the Old Testament scriptures, this is the time of the birth of Messiah. And so this is God's holy anointing time. And so there's that date, the date that is on the birth certificate. It's the fullness of time. Secondly, the biblical birth certificate, it declares the proud parents. We just saw here in Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, verses 19 through 20. But in Luke chapter 1, verses 30, you get there, 30 through 33, we've got Mary as she enters into God's equation for God's reasons and God's purposes. Verse 30, Then the angel said to her, to Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. How did Mary find favor with God? The only way that anybody can find favor with God is by the grace of God. Never was Mary, is Mary presented in the scriptures as being without sin. Mary was not a perfect person. What, the only thing that I can surmise, and this would be based upon what's called Mary's Magnificent, in verses 46 through to the end of the chapter uh, of chapter 1 of Luke, would be that she just simply had a heart for God and a heart that was open and a heart was pliable for God's purposes. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and be called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. And then if you would go over, we're not going to, but to the magnificent, you just see that expression of Mary's heart. And the expression of Mary's heart, that expression of joy is based upon God's plan and how she was brought into that through the grace of God. As I've said so many times, it was the desire of every woman that she would be the mother of Messiah. There was that promise given so early in the Bible in Genesis chapter 3. And so Mary just had to be amazed that now it's coming to fruition. And she, it's believed that she, was, she could have been as young as 13. She was a very young woman at this time. But just to, to know that you're part of this plan that God has as the plan of the ages had to be so overwhelming. Well, she bursts forth in praise again in Mary's Magnificent. The biblical birth certificate, it declares the child's name. There were lots of children named Jesus during this time, but there was only one named Jesus and declared to be the Christ or the Messiah. In Matthew 1, 21, And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from his sins. The name Jesus means Yahweh saves. And here, truly, that name comes to fruition as this name is presented to all of humanity according to the will of God for the definite purposes of God. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. 
then after all of that, just simply so that we would know and we would recognize this child, there was the ultimate in baby showers. Actually, the invited guests and their gifts included, well, we don't know exactly how many guys were included in that baby shower. We only know of three, but nonetheless, there was three gifts given, and so we look at these three wise men. But in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judah in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. What was so wise about these wise guys? What, 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 was so, what, what made these men wise above everybody else? Is because they sought a Savior based upon a star given to them by a witness by more than likely, if it wasn't Daniel, it was somebody else during that time of Babylonian captivity. And see, we've got to look at this event, but you've got to go back to even the beginning of the Bible and see how God's working all of this out. In Genesis chapter 3, he says he's going to send a Savior. It's going to be the seed, but it's not going to be the seed of man as far as the male. It's going to be the seed of a woman. The problem in the reproductive process, it's not the woman who possesses the seed. She possesses the egg. But there's just going to be this occurrence that's going to be some supernatural work of God. And so God starts working this out through the descendants, but the devil doesn't like it, and the devil can't get at God so the devil attempts to get at God's people and we see in Genesis chapter 6 that there's some kind of some kind of issue that is dealt with where evil is reigning on earth at that time and God desires well just so man knows and understands that there is a the, the, the reality of judgment, there's the flood that comes. But he keeps that line because he's preserving that one lineage that's going to result in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so then he comes and he, Abraham comes upon the scene and Abraham establishes the Hebrew people. And God says, well, you're going to be in the promised land, but just for a period of time, for about 430 years, I'm going to take you out and, and I'm going to deposit you in Egypt and you're going to realize the need for me because the time of the fulfillment of the iniquity of the Amorites has not yet come. He's given these people, the people, the inhabitants of the promised land, an opportunity to repent, but they refused, so judgment came to them. But God, through outstretched hand and a mighty arm, reaches down and pulls his people out, introduces himself in that time in the wilderness and leads them into the promised land and then you have the man who's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ Joshua it's the same name and here Joshua is the one who is able to lead his people into the promised land and they find victory through his leadership the people are rebellious people and just as God said they would in Deuteronomy chapter 17 they rebel they don't want to be led by God they want a king because everybody else has got one and so God gives him a king. It's King Saul. But King Saul doesn't do very well, and he's removed from being king, and David is instilled there. And it's through the tribe of David that Messiah is going to come. And so we have a series of kings and great promises that are given to King David that he will forever have a descendant seated upon the throne of Israel. But as far as the fleshly kings, they rebel, they act out in the flesh, and they're removed. And so Israel, at least the southern part, Judah, Babylon comes and invades them because they become idolaters. They, they reject God, so God has rejected them. Babylon brings them into Babylonian captivity, but there's Daniel. There's Daniel and probably so many more. We just hear about Daniel. But Daniel is a man who is dedicated to God. And he writes some of the richest prophecies that we have in the Scriptures, especially concerning Messiah and the exact time that Messiah is going to come into Jerusalem in his triumphal entry. But it's not just that. As finally Israel is released to go back and to reestablish Jerusalem, 
so many more stayed than came. Even the time of Jesus' birth, it's estimated, Alfred Edersheim, a perfected Jew, says there were many more people living in the area of Babylon during those days than there was even in Israel. And so the people that stay, they kept the witness going so that it affected these wise men. But then you see it joining back together through the bridge that is these wise men as they come and as they minister to the Lord and recognize him and proclaim him as being the Messiah, the fulfillment of God's plan. And it's kind of a neat thing how God is able to do a work over here and do a work over here. And as he's doing a work over here in Babylon and reaching these guys, what are they doing? They're just confirming the work that God is doing over here. And you see this perfect unity of what God's doing. And then all of a sudden we have Messiah and there he is. And he's crucified just as the scriptures say he will be crucified in the same manner in which the scriptures say that he'll be crucified. If you have some spare time today, Read Psalm 22. It describes perfectly the crucifixion of Christ hundreds of years before it even happened. And then we have Jesus Christ, this man that came and taught and gave his word and just amazing things happened. But he was crucified, died, buried, but he was resurrected. He sent the Spirit and these men, these apostles who were fools at times, now they become a mighty tool in the hands of God. They go and they spread the word and the word, because it's the fulfillment of God's time, it spreads throughout the known world at that time. So it's kind of an amazing thing. You've got this insignificant country, Israel, which Who cares about Israel? I mean, Rome didn't during that time, and who else really would? And you've got this man who claims to be the fulfillment of this uh, of these scriptures, and you've got these twelve who you wouldn't be concerned about these twelve starting anything, but now these people are changing the world upside down. What's really God through them is the Spirit has come and dwelt inside of them, and it hasn't stopped. It continues even today. And God continues to do that because God's got plans and God's got purposes for us all. So all that to say, there were these wise men that came from the east. The guest, there were also the gifts, Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It's a wise man who comes to Christ and worships him. It's a fool who chooses to remain willfully ignorant. The gifts are gold. The gold is given. Well, the picture is gold is a gift that is for a mighty king. They're recognizing the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Frankincense is for a ministering priest. It was the basis of the um, incense that would be burnt inside the temple. And so we've got this unity of king and priest that can only be fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ in which he will enable us to be as well. And myrrh, myrrh is a spice of a martyred prophet. It speaks of his death. So again, you've got a lot of conflicting things that are going on here. You've got this gold, he's going to be king. Frankincense, he's going to be priest. So you would wonder third party not understanding all that's going on how could that possibly happen but then the frankincense i'm sorry the myrrh his death and so there's confusion if you don't understand the word but if you understand the word you understand that he is truly the king of kings and the lord of lords he's the great high priest that didn't offer a sacrifice but was the sacrifice for all of the sins of the world lastly there was the gift given from god to man it's why jesus came he came chiefly for our salvation, well, primarily for our salvation. 
For God so loved the world that he gave, he gave as a gift, his only begotten son, that whoever should believe on him, whoever would receive of that gift, and if you will open that gift, would not perish, but have everlasting life. And it's that gift that is opened to, held out to all of humanity. He also came for an illustration many times in the scriptures and how we are to live our lives as well, to mimic Christ to this world. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, Matthew eleven twenty nine. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. We learn from the Lord Jesus Christ. We were saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, and now we learn from the Lord Jesus Christ. See, for the time preceding his birth, at his birth, and after his birth, Jesus always lived his life as the cross was forever before him. He finally sent his face as flint before that tree. Today is the day in our society that man's face is set before a, before a Christmas tree. Christmas tree? It's at today's tree that man will only find a temporary band-aid for a terminal wound. If the focus is upon some sort of Christmas tree and the things that lie underneath it, well, I got bad news. The next day, the day after Christmas, it's all going to start back up again. But as far as God's Christmas tree, the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, the present, the present is actually singular, and it's upon the tree. It's only one. It may not be what you wanted, but it's definitely all that you've always needed. It's that which as we come and as we come before that tree at the foot of that tree that we're able to experience all that God has for humanity. So in order to see proper perspective here, you have to understand the tree's two products. There was a cradle and there was a cross. Jesus' cradle, that which displayed our Savior to mankind some 2,000 years ago. His cradle today, his cradle today still exists but it's in the hearts of men and women. It's the place where Christ resides within us today. As Christ has died, he sent forth the Spirit, and the Spirit lives within us. And because the Spirit lives within us, we have Christ within us as well. Jesus' cross, the place where sin was nailed to some 2,000 years ago. But as far as the cross, we are to take up our cross daily for the glory of God. And as we take up our cross daily, as we die to ourselves and as we live to him, we just lend towards the proof of what occurred some 2,000 years ago. That God looked down upon man and he pitied us. He didn't just pity those who were alive during that day. And it wasn't just Israel. It was for all of humanity. It was of the past and it was the future. And God looked down on humanity and realized, not that God didn't know, maybe realizes in a good term, but still saw the need, the great need with which we had. That which we had in his death was on the doorstep of mankind. Even from the day of his birth, he was destined to die. And as mankind was destined to die, God intervened and did something. He did something that nobody else could do. He did something that was an absolute miracle that we need to recognize every time that it occurs, that we would realize the true meaning of this time of the year. It's not so much about giving presents, nothing wrong with giving presents. I like to receive all the presents that anybody wants to give me. But it's all about the present that God has given, and it's that which we must consider. Have I recognized the present? Did I receive of the present but haven't really opened it? just kind of play the game and just happy that somebody gave me something, but not understanding all that it contains. 
Or am I truly experiencing the joy of the year because I have opened the present and received Christ unto myself? It's that which we must consider. There was a manger, there was a tree, but more importantly, there's you and there's me. Father, we just thank you, Lord. We thank you, Father, for for that great gift which was given that altered the course of humanity back then, but continues to do so today. And I just pray, Father, that we would rejoice, that we would rejoice in, in, Lord, just your thoughts that you have towards mankind, thoughts of peace and not evil, that, Lord, you think of our future and the hope that we are to have in you, that, Lord, you think of mankind daily as we go through our trials and tribulations. And, Lord, as we do, we just rejoice that, Father, we have your attention And it was never more apparent that day that you sent us a Savior. And so, Father, as we'll go off into homes of family and friends, I pray that you would bless us. I pray that you would use us. I pray for the witness, Lord, that we set, that it would be effective for your reasons and your purposes. But I pray, Father, that we will consider what was being said even here today. That, Lord, I I just pray that each person would, well, as that present was presented Did we take it unto ourselves? The only way to take it unto yourself is through belief. Have we opened that present? Have we experienced Jesus Christ and have that personal relationship because to keep him in a box is not to have a relationship with him? And the only way to do that is through faith. And so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so we're going to give an opportunity, an opportunity to Open, either receive of that present and open it or open it. And, and the way we do so is just, once again, is just understanding the magnitude of what God has, has done for us and, and to believe in it, to understand that I was a sinner, to realize that Jesus died on the cross to save sinners and, and that as these realities happen, undeniable as they change the course of history, that I would enter into all that God has just simply because I believe. And I pray here today that your first step of belief would be an outward expression through in a minute, just the raising of your hands. It's not that you're doing it for us, but in a way you are doing it for us. Because salvation, well, that occurs within your heart, but it's a witness that occurs outwardly. And so if God has spoken to your heart here today, either in the overflow here or or maybe sitting at home on the internet, whatever it might be. But if he's spoken to you, give that outward expression. Even if you're by yourself, just lift your hand up. Lift your hand up here. I'll just acknowledge that a hand has been lifted up. But this is just, again, an outward expression of what God has done within your heart. Is there anybody here this morning? If there is, just raise your hand. And again, we're not going to make a spectacle of you. I'm just going to acknowledge that a hand was raised. Anybody in the overflow, anybody on the internet, wherever you may be, is there anybody here today? Don't let this moment get past if you've yet to do so. Father, we just come before you and we just thank you, Lord, for this great gift in which you have given. And I just pray, Father, that we would realize now that we are avenues for your word. That, Lord, this is righteousness repeated. Just as somebody has shared the gospel with us, we are to share it with others. And so, Lord, we just thank you for today. I lift up once again this church and just pray, Father, that we would be a powerful tool in your hand, giving you glory, Lord, in all that we do, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you all stand, please?
couple of things. We have door-to-door ministry that is going out next week. They meet here at the church at 10 o'clock. And also our Christmas schedule is a little bit different. We are not having service tonight. We have moved tonight's service over to Monday. So tomorrow night we are going to be having our traditional candlelight service. And then, uh, I was going to say Easter morning, Christmas morning, we are going to be having service at 9 o'clock. God bless you guys. Merry Christmas. As we close with this last song, may you not see it just as it's the last song, but may you see it as an expression of your heart, of what you've heard God tell you through our pastor today. That song, What Child Is This, says this, this is the Christ, the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing, haste, haste to bring him laud, the babe, the son of Mary. That's an expression of your heart. Just lift that. Lift your song, lift your life, lift your heart to your God right now.
Amen. Merry Christmas. If you desire prayer, there'll be a couple up here.